You're now listening to the TaxSmart REI Podcast, the number one tax podcast for real estate investors. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here, we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the TaxSmart REI Podcast. This week, Ryan and I are joined by Rich Sommers, active real estate investor and entrepreneur with a portfolio valued at over $70 million. This week, we discuss Rich's journey and why he transitioned from multifamily value add and short-term rentals into boutique hotels, short-term rental regulations, tax strategies, and more. We also dive into personal branding tips for real estate investors. So if you're considering starting a personal brand or maybe you already have one, this episode has some great tips you're not going to want to miss. And without further ado, we'll just jump right in. Hey, Rich, thanks for jumping on with us today. Uh, for those of you who might not be familiar with your background, would you be able to give our listeners a little bit of an overview of your background, how you got started in real estate investing? Thomas, Ryan, I appreciate you guys having me on, man, and uh, super excited for this conversation today. Yeah, man, I grew up like most folks, uh, middle class. My mom was an immigrant from Taiwan. My dad uh, grew up in Holland. They both know the value of working hard for your money and saving your money. So I was always taught from a young age to go to school, get good grades, go to college and get a job. And for the most part, that's what I did. I didn't know anything about real estate investing or entrepreneurism. And my first taste of what it's like to control your income to a certain extent was when I started working in a sales job in college. I started selling cell phones at a kiosk at the mall. I did really well at it and uh, I really enjoyed the sales process. And so a couple of my coworkers went on to sell cars and they were like, dude, you'll make way more money. So I went over, I started selling Nissans while I was in college and uh, dude, I loved it. And I thought, man, when I get out of college, I want to go sell commercial real estate because I know the commissions are big. And so I interviewed with CB Richard Ellis and Grubbin Ellis right out of college. This is 2008. And as you guys know, your audience knows the market was coming down and they told me, they said, Hey, we love your hustle, but this is not the right time to get into the industry. And so I found myself on a car lot wondering what am I going to do with my life? And I stumbled across a job as an air traffic controller with the FAA. Uh, and they said, Hey, if you can pass a drug test and be out in Oklahoma city in two weeks, we'll hire you. And so sure enough, I packed my bags. I went out to Oklahoma city. I ended up doing this career for 11 years. And along the way, I started to just get a little bit bored. I got to a point where I didn't feel like I was growing anymore. And I was like, I need more out of life. And so I was in a break room in between work and air traffic. I was like the guy with the, the headset on working radar, talking to all the aircraft, but we would get pretty good breaks. It was like a stressful thing. So we would get like 30 to 45 minute breaks. And I'm um, in the break room and I hear one of my coworkers talk about, he just closed on a fourplex in Cleveland. And I was like, dude, how did you do this? Show me how you did it. And so he said, go read this book. It was the blue book on real estate investing by Brandon Turner read the book, I devoured it. And then I said, what else you got for me? And so he was like, Hey, go listen to this podcast. And it was the bigger pockets podcast. And I just started like devouring through episodes. I started reading all these books I could get my hands on in real estate investing. And I really gravitated towards apartment investing. And I literally didn't go out. I just literally worked six days a week. I studied, I listened to podcasts. I started going to networking events before I even owned any real estate. And about nine months in, I decided it was time to take action. And I cashed out my 401k which was my seed money to do my first two deals. First deal was 11 unit apartment building in Cincinnati. And the second deal shortly after that, I partnered with two of my coworkers in the air traffic control facility. We were partners for quite some time. We still own some real estate together today. 
but we bought a 32 unit building in Indianapolis. Both of those deals were C-class deals, uh, made all the mistakes, made all the problems, but renovated those properties, made them worth more. We increased the value of them. The Cincinnati deal, I did a cash out refi, pulled all my money out. I still own that deal today. And then the 32 unit building we bought for 1.2 and we sold it two years later for 3.1. And that was kind of my first full cycle deal. Shortly after that, got into some short-term rental stuff, started a, a real estate podcast in the multifamily space, which now I have my own podcast, but that podcast is still going with my old partners and learned how to raise private money, started taking down some larger deals, did a couple larger apartment deals out in North Carolina, which I still own today with investors. And then I want to say about a year and a half ago, uh, made a big pivot. And uh, at the time, was doing a lot of short-term rental stuff and had a short-term rental like management company, kind of a hospitality arm and was doing multifamily. But as you guys know, your audience knows is around 2021, you know, cap rates started going down, interest rates were at all time low. There was a lot of money and capital chasing apartments and, um, you know, good deals out there uh, would have 35, 40 offers and people were open paying for product. So we decided to make a pivot and I was like, well, what if we did a boutique hotel? And if you actually take a multifamily deal and a short-term rental and marry the two, it's really a boutique hotel. And I said, well, what if we use this management arm to take down a small boutique hotel and do a self-check-in, self-check-out model with the guests, remote manage the property. And uh, this will allow us to bring the innkeeper's suite or the manager's unit online for additional revenue. And then we eliminate the expense of having an onsite manager, which is going to drop to the bottom line and increase that NOI. And so first deal we did was a 10 unit beachfront hotel up in Northern California, an area called Shelter Cove, bought it for 1.5 seller financing mom and pop ownership. They had no marketing. They had no tech. They were severely underperforming. They had owned the property for 18 years and um, picked it up at 1.5. We shut down the property. We did an entire renovation. Uh, when we bought the property, the sellers had never done more than $180,000 in gross revenue. And we took it within one year and pushed almost $650,000 in one year. Bought it for 1.5 at a price for 4.5. 12 months later. And uh, that was the first one. I said, you know what? Let's go on on this model. Airbnb regulations are tightening in a lot of markets right now around the country. We saw what happened in New York City. They just banned short-term rentals recently. Here in San Diego, they just regulated it from 17,000 short-term rentals down to 5,500. And we're continuing to see more regulations come down the pipeline, which is bringing more demand back to the hotels. And also, you see all these Airbnb investors out there that are every time I go to a real estate conference, they're like, yo, Rich, I cannot wait to do my first boutique hotel. And so I believe it's just a matter of time before it becomes the next big thing. So started a real estate fund in the boutique hotel space. Uh, we picked up a few more deals and we're rocking and rolling, man. So excited for it. And uh, we got a boutique hotel investing mastermind now and uh, really just going all in on it, man. So it's, it's been a fun little ride and uh, a fun journey. But uh, the craziest part is, you know, five years ago, I was working as an air traffic controller and, and owned zero real estate. You know, it's crazy. And it's a very interesting story. It kind of like you went from multifamily into boutique hotels. And so there's a lot to unpack there. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things you mentioned was value add and you started that value add journey, even when you were in the, the multifamily space. Can you maybe talk to listeners out there? Because I happen to think value add is one of the best wealth building strategies out there, whether you're doing yeah. it with business or you're doing it with real estate, it's tremendous. What made you choose the value add over all the other real estate strategies or tactics that are out there? Yeah. You know, I would say every single deal that I've done to date, I've either got for little to no money down 
or I've been able to buy at a discount, add tremendous value, and then pull my money back out via refi. Right now, we're in a high interest rate environment. So in order for me to buy a deal right now in a, in a softening market is I need two things. One, I need to be able to buy at a discount. And two, I need to be able to add tremendous value because, you know, with the rate environment the way it is, there's a lot of volatility in the marketplace. Yes, we're in an election year. Yes, the Fed's come out and said we're going to probably do some rate cuts. And so it looks like, hey, we might have a soft landing. However, if you are able to buy a discount and add tremendous value, you are creating equity. You're creating a cushion, a margin for error should you miss on the assumptions or should the market continue to soften because we can never control what the market's going to do. But I do know if we're forcing equity, we're forcing appreciation. One, it's going to juice the returns. But two, it gives us the ability to potentially pull our money out, which as you guys know, you do a cash out refi on these deals. You don't have anything left in the deal, any of your own you know, money. Well, now your return moving forward is infinite. You can right. redeploy those, the, those funds into more deals and it starts to snowball. It starts to compound over time. Yeah. And you know, the, another good thing about cash out refis is they're tax free in most cases. So <laughs> yes, it's just you're pulling yep. the money out tax free and you don't have to worry about it. Yep. One more thing, one more thing on that transition. When you, you were doing these deals with your partners, it's presumably with your own capital, then you started raising money. You know, one thing that I'm always trying to wrap my head around and I get it because I, I was syndicated a deal before, but what is the value that unlocks for you as like the operator or the sponsor by raising money versus doing a deal with your own capital? Yeah, I love both. And, you know, I, I always encourage everyone to do both. I love doing the smaller deals where it's, you know, just me and my, and my money. I think those types of deals allow me to take a little bit more risk and, you know, do more projects that are maybe I wouldn't do with investors, right? But the bigger deals with investors I love because, you know, I'm providing opportunity to friends, family, people in our personal network to diversify into commercial real estate and get the tax benefits, get the cash flow, even though they are busy and don't necessarily have the time. And so I love those deals too. But with those deals, you know, our underwriting is a lot more strict. The deals that our selection process and qualifying deals are a lot more strict because, now we're a custodian of other people's money. And at the end of the day, you know, I always want to, you know, take care of the investors. I want to do what's right. But uh, I also want to sleep good at night knowing that I'm being a good custodian of their money. No, hundred percent. Whenever you have investor capital, it's always, it's always about the investors got to make sure you protect their money. Uh, Ryan, yeah. before we jump into boutique hotels, do you have any questions here? I don't think so. I want to jump into boutique hotels. So yeah, let's do it. All right. All right. So boutique hotels. So we have a lot of listeners here on the show. They're in the short term rental space. It's been, you know, over the last, we call it like the STR boom of COVID, right? The COVID STR boom. And there's been a lot of interest in the space because the tax benefits and so on and so forth. And as we all know, if you've been listening to the show, it's starting to get more saturated. There's regulation, like Rich mentioned before. So when it comes to boutique hotels, you explained briefly about why you dived in. Could you tell us a little bit about the return profiles or supply and demand factors around the boutique hotels? Yeah. Well, there's there's so many factors, but you know, you mentioned the why, and uh, I think it's important for all the listeners out there to remember. You know, you go buy a standard Airbnb, uh, you're buying a single family home. Maybe it's a condo, maybe it's a townhome, but those properties are valued based on the comps. And so, whatever the house is worth across the street on a square foot basis, generally speaking, is what your property's worth, no matter how much income it's making as a short term rental. Boutique hotels, obviously, it's commercial real estate, and so you know, we're able to go in there and increase the NOI. And because these things are valued based on the income they spit out, generally speaking, they still look at the comps. But generally speaking, these valuations are basically based on the NOI they speak out. So I know if I can go in there and I can eliminate the expense of having a manager on payroll, well, that might be sixty dollars to $70,000 instant gain in NOI growth just by making that move. And by the way, 
that's not to include all that additional cash flow and NOI growth that we're going to get from being in that manager's unit online. And so just those two simple moves increases the value of these boutique hotels you know, seven, 800, maybe even a million dollars, depending on what market you're in. So that's number one. Number two is you don't have any neighbors to worry about. You know, with these short-term rentals, we manage a bunch of them in eight markets right now around the country, not just our own stuff, but we also manage for third-party owners on a select basis. And, you know, unfortunately, every now and then you get a property and you got some crappy neighbors and you just can't control that, you know? And so you don't need to worry about the headaches of having the neighbors, but then also from an economy as a scale perspective to go out there and manage, you know, seven, eight, 10 short-term rentals in three or four different markets. You got all these different housekeepers to manage. You got all these different sets of utility bills. You got all these different sets of guests checking in, checking out and payments and all that sort of thing to manage. Well, with a boutique hotel, we can have 10 units, 20 units, 40 units under one roof. And it makes everything from a management ROI return on your time perspective a lot easier. And so when you, we start talking scalability, it's just much simpler doing the boutique hotel stuff. And then lastly, it, there's been a big boom around Airbnbs. Let, let's just be honest. So it's not just the regulation. It's not just all these investors and it's not just, you know, being the next natural progression for all of them. But, you know, as the oversaturation, all this Airbnb stuff starts to sway the other way, which, which it is swaying right now, it's going to bring all the demand back to the boutique hotels. And, you know, you got 40 million baby boomers retiring between now and the next seven years. 25%, it's estimated, 25% of the boutique hotels out there that are priced 10 million and under are owned by these baby boomers. And that's a huge opportunity for anyone listening right now to go in there and pick up these underperforming properties. They're not utilizing any technology. They're not utilizing any social media marketing. Their properties haven't been renovated in, in decades. And these owners, they bought their boutique hotels 25, 35 years ago on seller financing. And so now they're already expecting to sell their properties on seller financing. They're retiring. They're not going to roll the proceeds into another deal. They want the cash flow in retirement and they, they want to lower their tax burden. And so it's a huge opportunity for any of your listeners out there right now to know, hey, all these retiring mom and pop owners are going to be selling these assets. They're in good locations and it's a huge opportunity to go in there and literally turn around these properties and create a lot of wealth. Speaking of location, I was going to ask, you mentioned eight markets. What you mind sharing kind of those markets? And if, if you do share them, are you looking into new markets as well, other than just those eight? Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that. It's a great question, Ryan. So, you know, traditionally with real estate investing, apartment investing, long-term rentals, a lot of folks say, Hey, I want to go into landlord friendly states. I don't want to go into tenant friendly states like California, where it might take nine months to evict a squatter. Right. And so with boutique hotels, we actually take the opposite approach. And the reason I say that is because we like going into blue states or liberal areas because liberal states tend to have more bureaucracy, more red tape. And with that comes tightening short-term rental regulations or pending short-term rental regulations. And so generally speaking, we want to go into areas with the tightening short-term rental regulations because we know it's going to bring more demand back to the boutique hotel. So we love coastal markets like California. We love central California. We like beachfront. And then within those markets, we like to be in great locations. I know if I go and do a nice renovation on a hotel in an area like Santa Barbara on the beach, I know that there are guests that are willing to pay top dollar and they're willing to pay a premium in terms of ADR and rev par to stay at that property to where if I go buy a property in Oklahoma City that's surrounded by pawn shops and liquor stores and I go do that same renovation, there's no one that's going to be willing to spend up for that type of property. 
quick follow-up on the regulations. Do you believe that the short-term rental regulations are primarily driven by like the local community and their drive to, you know, to regulate it for housing, for regular housing purposes, versus how much is perhaps driven by hotels themselves, like the hotel lobby? And I don't know if that's mm. a question you want to dive into, but I'm just curious to know how, like, wh- where's the impact? Or maybe it's a mixture of both. Yeah, I think about this all the time. I think it is a mixture of both depending on the market. So I think if you're looking at more metro markets where there's a, a bigger supply of flagged or branded hotels, such as a Marriott, a Hilton, a Hyatt, uh, there's going to be a lot more lobbyists going on in those areas. Now, if you're looking at boutique hotels or short-term rentals in these rural areas, um, like that 10-unit boutique hotel up in Shelter Cove, there's no branded or uh, flagged hotels up in the area. There's not going to be a lot of lobbying going on. But to your point, yes, a lot of these regulations are coming from the local level, the city, the local residents, the municipalities, because they know it's driving up rent prices. It's taking away potential rentals or rental units. And so that's put, pushing pricing upwards. And then also a lot of those first-time homeowners that are looking to buy properties to live in, there's less supply of available properties because you have all these Airbnb investors going in and buying up these properties. And so it's driving prices up. It's making things less affordable for the local residents that just want to raise their families. And so I think that's a big part of it as well. And I think lastly is like, dude, and and I agree with this. I mean, if if I was raising a family on a cul-de-sac, a quiet street, and I've been living there for 20 years, I wouldn't want some transient guest short-term rental Airbnb that's, you know, always throwing parties every single weekend next to me while I'm trying to raise kids. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. Now, there's ways to mitigate that, as you guys know, you know, you can have noise sensors and all this stuff in your property, but you can't control all the irresponsible hosts out there. Absolutely. Regarding the the whole entire short-term rental discussion here, this obviously applies to boutique hotels. In fact, this is what these rules are actually made for and the reason why this is kind of called a loophole to begin with, quote unquote. Do you end up using the short-term rental loophole uh, for your own situation? Like if you have an average stay of seven days or less, your rental property or your boutique hotel in this case is not a rental activity it's actually a business activity or if you have 30 days or less and you're providing substantial services then you know that also kind of qualifies for it do you use that strategy at all yeah so you know now i qualify for professional real estate status but when i was working the air traffic control job it was a high paying w2 and when i had the short term rentals and i was still working there i was able to utilize the short term rental uh, loophole so I uh, got cost segregation studies done on the, on the short-term rentals that I had. Um, and as you guys know, as long as you're spending X amount of time within that business and your average guest stay for the calendar year is seven nights or less, which with our portfolio, the average is like, I think just over two nights, it's like 2.1 or 2.2. So as long as you're doing two night minimums, you're never going to have an issue going running closer to that seven nights. And so you're able to utilize all the depreciation. And back then you could use 100% bonus depreciation in year one if you wanted to. And so the last year or two, I think it was the last two years I worked at that W-2, I didn't pay any taxes because of all the depreciation that I was able to utilize from the short-term rentals. And so many people are surprised to hear that. Like I... (laughs) <laughs> posting on LinkedIn and things, you know, I'll say, Hey, mm. you can make this much income and pay zero tax. I think a lot of people just read, you know, a hook like that. And they're like, absolutely. There's no way that could be done. You're mm-hmm. a great example of that. I've seen several clients use that. So yeah, it's out there. We've seen it. We help clients do that. It's a way to do it legally. I think a lot of people think this is illegal uh, as though, you know, we call it like the short-term rental loophole. It's probably not technically a loophole. It's all in the regulation. So it's all legal, but Mm -hmm. awesome to hear that you've done that. And so many of our clients and a lot of people who are in, you know, like you were a few years ago, you've got that high income W2 job and they're like, Hey, I want to get into real estate. What can I do? 
for a lot of people, especially those who aren't full-time in real estate, the short-term rental loophole, if we're going to keep calling it that, is a great strategy. So that that's kind of a perfect example uh, of utilizing that. And last thing, before it is, we move on it is. And, that, and, and one more thing to add about it, this loophole works with the boutique hotel as well because it's, it's an active business and, and your right. guest, your average guest stay is definitely well under seven nights. Now, the shocking thing for me was that all these CPAs out there, and this is important for your audience, is I was shocked to find out how many CPAs out there that had been practicing for 20 plus years had never heard of this short-term rental loophole before. Yeah. The CPA that I used to have had no idea about this. And I was having to coach her on what exactly this was. And so I would caution all your listeners out there that if you have a CPA that has no idea what that is and has no idea how to depreciate or they don't know what a cost sex study is for one of your rental properties, it's time to get a new CPA. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So many people don't know about that out there and it's a little shocking. I mean, I think, you know, the way we ended up finding out about that was we had so many short-term rental clients that like we were forced mm -hmm. to, to read and dive into all these, all the tax codes, the regulations and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy just out there how many people don't know about some of the stuff. And Ryan, I know you had a follow-up question. So I want yeah. To so I, I was just going to say, depending on uh, when people are listening to this, so we're shooting this at the end of January, but in the kind of current lawmaking, you know, process that we're going through, there is a potential that we bring back 100% bonus depreciation for mm -hmm. properties placed in service. Yeah, you saw that. So 2023 yeah. and potentially 2024, maybe 2025, that could come out, you know, as soon as this week or maybe mm -hmm. next week or something like that. So and it's going to go back retroactively. So, so last yeah, year, so you need to go back and, and utilize 100%. Exactly. So you, you mentioned using 100%. Hey, you might be able to use that for your 2023 tax return. So some people should be, you know, considering should I maybe wait a little bit of time to actually file my tax return? That's something that people should be considering because, hey, should I wait, see how they, you know, implement this, get the software updated and so forth. So that's even something for you if you, you know, bought some properties, of course, in 2023, waiting to do that or any listeners out there consider kind of putting a pause on that. But that would be really exciting for you, you know, people you uh, invest with and so forth, just across kind of our clients and listeners, huge impact that that could have on our industry. Yeah, no, absolutely. We're, we're currently getting cost seg studies done on all the hotels that we bought last year in the fund. You know, obviously our, our investors need their K1 so they can file, but that would be great news if this thing passes at some point this year. Yeah. We got our fingers crossed. <laughs> I, I just did, I just put out a video on my, my Instagram actually like last week on this this topic. Shifting gears a little bit actually into personal branding a little bit. I, I know there's a few influencers who listen to this show and there's always people aspiring in the real estate space to step up and become an influencer. And I've seen you at Grant Cardone and recently with the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, Jordan Belfort, which is which is awesome. So how did that happen? How did you formulate your plan for your personal brand and how did you get that momentum behind you? Yeah, man. So, you know, I realized you can become the best real estate investor and know all the strategy and all the principles, but if no one knows who you are, it's going to be challenging to really grow your business, right? It's going to be challenging to find investor capital, to meet investors. It's going to be more challenging to find deals, hire good team members and all that sort of thing. And everything's shifting. And this is, this is a whole different economy that we're in. They say attention is the new currency and it couldn't be more true. And so you see folks like Grant Cardone, you see folks like Ryan Pineda and all these guys that are, you know, and gals that are moving the needle. And you quickly realize there's a lot of real estate entrepreneurs out there, but there's probably only less than 5% of them that are actually putting out content. And of that 5%, 
there's probably only so many that are actually doing it consistently and doing it at a high level. And so, you know, you really got two folks out there. You got content creators that are not real estate investors and you got real estate investors that are not content creators. And so if you can become decent at both, it is the recipe to really grow and get access, but also help a lot of folks along the way, which is one of my goals. And so I know, hey, I want to build a big thing. I want to bring a lot of people with me. I want to bring my team with me and I want to help a lot of people along the way. That's why we have the Boutique Hotel Mastermind. That's why I put out the content. That's why I got the podcast. We're ripping three episodes every single week. And um, it's been fun, man. It's been fun. We, we got 52 investors in our fund. We got athletes. We got real estate CPAs in our fund. And then we got this boutique hotel mastermind. We got 23 members right now. We got 13 hotels owned. We got two more under contract. And uh, we're doing our first annual retreat down in Cabo with our boutique hotel mastermind members. So super excited. There's partnership opportunities. And uh, we've done a good job of just kind of creating a community. But uh, to circle back on your answer, man, content for any audience out there that is thinking about doing content, but they don't know where to start or they're nervous to get in front of the camera, I always say, just do it. Just do it and commit to posting every single day for 90 days. And I guarantee you after the 90 days, you're not going to be nervous anymore. You're going to have more confidence. And then you can go back and look at the 90 days of content that you put out and study your content. See what posts did good. See what posts didn't do good and double down on the ones that did good. And uh, you'll get better and better as you go. You know, the last thing I'll say about it, man, is you're not going to be good on camera day one. It's, it, it takes reps, right? And so for anyone out there to go think they're going to go start a podcast and rip it on episode one or rip that reel that's going to go viral on the first piece of content, it's crazy, right? So if you go back and see my early stuff, it's not very good. And this is my second crack at a podcast, right? So I had this other one with my partners. We ripped hundreds of episodes and I took everything I liked and didn't like and then put it into this one. And if you see the folks like Joe Rogan out there, you know, people see his product today, but I'm like, dude, Joe's done three episodes a week for 14 years straight. Think about that. If you go back and listen to his early episodes, he didn't have good equipment. He didn't sound that great, but the dude did it consistently, never took a fucking week off, three episodes every single week for 14 years, and look where he's at now. If Joe was a real estate investor and raising capital, he could raise billions like that because of his audience that he's built. And so attention and eyeballs is the new currency. It's never been more true than now. Those are wise words. I think the two key takeaways there was you have to just get started and you have to just kind of you know fight through that initial fear and insecurity and uncomfortableness of it. And you got to be consistent. And over time, you'll get the iterations, you'll get the reps, and you'll mm-hmm. eventually you know you start to pick up some momentum. Quick question on that. What platforms are you currently on and why did you choose to focus on those platforms amongst the sea of you know what's out there? Yeah. So Instagram is the main one. And that was kind of the first one I started putting out content on. We're on TikTok. We're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, and then obviously the platforms that the podcast goes out on. So Apple, Spotify, Google Stitch, and all that sort of thing. The most challenging one for us so far has been the YouTube. We haven't figured the YouTube out yet. And then TikTok, we just got on like five months ago. That one's doing good, but I wish we would have started a little bit sooner with that. But I would say the main focus one is Instagram in the podcast. It's hard to build trust on a 30 second TikTok. It's hard to build trust on a 45 second Instagram reel, but we can get people over to listen to the podcast through those short clips of the podcast on these shorts. And then when they go over and start listening to the podcast, the podcast audience is a little bit of a more sophisticated audience. They're more intelligent. They have a higher net worth. And so uh, in terms of like investor leads and you know all the revenue that we're bringing in with the different businesses that we have, 
a lot of it is all coming from the podcast. And so, you know, I, I would tell your audience, if you guys don't have a podcast and you've been thinking of starting one, just do it. It's not that hard. You just pick a topic or whatever it's going to be. And you do, you know, one episode a week, put it out every single Wednesday at the same time, or maybe it's on a Tuesday at the same time. And maybe your investors or maybe your, your customers are not going to listen to your podcast, but they're going to see Thomas. They're going to see Ryan. They're going to see you guys putting out a podcast every single week, like clockwork. And it builds a level of trust. I always say the same thing with the meetup. I started hosting a meetup out here before I owned any real estate. So now we got a real estate meetup every single month. We haven't missed a month for five years. And now it's the biggest real estate meetup in San Diego. It's free. It's networking. We don't even have speakers. It's like super casual. People just come out, network yeah. and meet people. And now we get a couple hundred people that come out every single month. And it's amazing. Even folks that don't come out to our meetups, they see that we're hosting them every single month, same day, same time, like clockwork. They see the photos and it builds trust over time. The podcast, the social media posting, all that stuff, the email boss, the meetups, all that stuff builds trust over time and people start to view you as an expert. And then that's how you start to get connected to folks like Grant Cardone and Wolf of Wall Street and all these other folks where, you know, before I started doing the content, those people never wanted to hang out with me. You know, last weekend I was, uh, I was hanging out with uh, Ryan Garcia, one of the top two boxers in the world right now. So I got connected to him. We, we were sitting at a table in Miami and my buddy who connected me to Wolf of Wall Street said, Hey, my buddy, uh, is coming over to our table. And sure enough, Ryan Garcia, 10 minutes later, rolls up to the table. And, you know, now I have an opportunity to get him on as a investor. We became friends that night. We got a connection. And all this is because of the content. Before the content, no one wanted to hang out with me. And now all of a sudden, people are, are connecting me to big players because of the content. So I think the main takeaway for your audience is if you're not doing it, you got to start. <laughs> it's almost a non-negotiable in this in this era. Yeah. No, no doubt about that. You know, it's really interesting and in how we actually got here on this show today with you is me and my family were down in LA and uh, I was in San Diego for the day and I seen uh -huh. on one of your Instagram reels that you're throwing on that meetup. So I happened to be in downtown for dinner, downtown San Diego. So I dropped by and then yep. I was talking to you briefly. That's um, right, dude. Yeah, unfortunately, like my brother and my sister, are like let's go out to dinner. They are hounding me. They don't get the business aspect of things. So yeah. I'm like, all right, whatever. I got I got to go. I, but it was an amazing meetup for the time I was there. I was like, this is awesome. It's probably the best real estate meetup that I've ever been to. So I, you know, hats off for that. And it definitely does open up doors. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, and, and I and I appreciate I appreciate you for coming up and, and and saying hi. You just rolled right up and you were like, hey, dude, let's rip a podcast. And I was like, I know of this podcast. <laughs> Actually, your podcast has been saved in my library since like 2019 when I first got into real estate investing, and it's still there. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, yeah, That's crazy. Well, is there any parting words, anything you'd want to leave the audience with before we wrap up today? I would just say, you know, for the folks out there that feel stuck or for the folks out there that are grinding and grinding and they don't feel like they're moving the needle and, and they don't love what they're doing and they want to get into real estate investing or they want to get into business, you know, all it takes is one decision and it can change your life. And I, I think I'm a, I'm a walking testament of that. And if you just focus on something for one year, 12 months and stay consistent, it can change your entire life. And so the last thing I'll say is one of my favorite quotes don't fear failure, fear regret. 
Yeah, that's great. And where, where I forgot to ask this, where can everybody find you if everybody wanted to, like, what's your at, you know, which, yeah, where, man. Where so, so everything's on Instagram, social media. So my handle is at rich underscore summers. That's S O M E R S. The podcast is the rich summers report. We push out three episodes every single week, had guys on like Grant Cardone, Mikey Taylor, Pace Morby, Ryan Pineda, just to name a few. I mean, just put out a lot of value. So everything's there. Uh, and then if you're interested in, in joining our boutique hotel mastermind, where we help folks who have have some short-term rental experience already, and they want to learn how to buy a boutique hotel, learn how to raise capital, learn how to put these deals together, how to get these deals debted up, seller financing, all that sort of stuff. You can go to summerscapital.com slash mastermind to book a free call. And then uh, if you're interested in investing in our fund, we got some really good opportunities coming up right now. We're getting some killer deals. Summerscapital.com slash invest. Awesome. Awesome. We're going to go ahead and link up your website, your your social profiles on the show notes for anybody who wants to check it out. And I uh, just want to thank you for coming on. You, you've been an inspiration to me, man. I've got my personal brand going even stronger than I ever wanted to or thought I was going to because I've seen you out there. So I appreciate it. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Dude, Tommy, Ryan, I appreciate both of you guys. And uh, dude, we got to get you back out to one of these meetups, man. We, we host, actually, if you come back out in the summertime, May through September, we host a meetup. It's a yacht meetup right on the water here in San Diego. We got saxophone player, DJ, music. It's sick. It's called Cash Flow and Cocktails. Come back on the summer. I'd love to have both of you guys. We'll hang. Awesome. 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 Thank you. Thanks for the invite. I'll have to come down. Yeah. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. So that was another awesome episode. Rich, like I said on the show, big inspiration, has a lot of exciting things going on. Very glad he was able to hop on with us. Ryan, I know it was something interesting. You know, we talked a lot about the short run to loophole specifically on this episode and and some of the boutique hotel stuff. You know, what are your thoughts on all that on Rich's approach? Yeah, I think from the tax side, it's interesting because usually when we think about a hotel, a motel, or resort, usually those are going to provide substantial services. And that has maybe like a broad understanding to most people. It's basically what you would expect a normal hotel to provide, things like daily cleaning. Maybe they provide breakfast every day or coffee or excursions, right? Things like that, that it's it's very much a very hand-holding kind of daily touches and providing those additional things yeah. more than simply just providing, here's a place to stay, goodbye, right? You think of a normal short-term rental, it's like, here, here's your self check-in. Here's how you get in. And the host is basically just like, I'm here if you need me, right? That's not providing substantial services. So it's interesting thinking about kind of this boutique motel hotel that Rich is talking about. We didn't dive into, hey, what are the amenities? What are the things that your management is doing? Are you doing daily cleaning? Uh, and so we, we don't know for sure just for Rich specifically if that yeah. falls into substantial services, but simply from those listening who are interested on the tax side, if we are providing substantial services, that's more so going to be something that say you own it, right? hundred percent, not a partnership, something on your schedule C, but then that profit is going to be subject to self-employment tax, that additional 15.3%, uh, FICA tax, some people might call it. So it's interesting to think about that if for those listeners interested in getting into this kind of boutique motel hotel uh, space. How is that going to be taxed differently if I provide substantial services? It's going to be additional cost to you, right? To provide that, that daily cleaning, you've got daily cleaners going in. So that's just the investment side. But also you have to think about there's also a tax cost if you want to add that on too. So just an interesting thing, you know, not specific to Rich's situation, but as we're talking about kind of these boutique motels, hotels, that is kind of one tax difference I thought was interesting for people to keep in mind. 
Absolutely. And, you know, something that's really interesting for me about the boutique hotel space is like, this is a viable asset class. So I know uh, some people listen to the show like to play bigger and short term rentals might not be big enough in the sense of like, from an operational standpoint, you have to go acquire five, six, 10, you know, eight short term rentals to make it perhaps a more viable business than just having say one, like a one off. Uh, so boutique hotels is, is an opportunity. Rich just said he started his mastermind. And, you know, we've gotten some comments before in the past, like, oh, like all these programs and stuff. But I got to say, like, if you're trying to learn something new, like a new asset class, there's nothing like getting around a mentor, a community who can help support you in learning it. You know, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. I'm going to mention that book probably ad nauseum throughout you know hit time, but it's about finding who can help you. It's not about going it alone. This being doing it yourself is not noble. Okay, <laughs> this isn't school where you know you have to take a test. So if you want to do something like that, get around the right people. And it's just very interesting to me that uh, it seems like a great opportunity for people to use that short-term rental loophole and you have someone to help guide you. Another thing too, really interesting about uh, Rich's journey, if you will, is the personal branding aspect of it and the power that that has for your real estate investments and you know for raising capital and bringing potential partners and new opportunities. Like Rich's personal brand is the reason why I invited him on the show, right? Not because of his personal brand, but because I went down to San Diego, saw him on, on Instagram and went to his meetup and, and we connected. So that's just one opportunity. Obviously, he's meeting with a lot of other people is helping him out. So one of the things regarding personal branding is I know, Ryan, you're doing a lot and we'll talk about what you're into in just a second. But uh, there's a lot of things out there that sometimes can't make it onto the show because they're just not a whole episode worth of, of stuff or just kind of day-to-day insights and whatnot. And I'm going to be on uh, Twitter or X as they call it now. Um, I'm going to be focusing on that platform as one of the platforms I'm doubling down on. Hopefully after almost 300 episodes and 100 guest interviews, I'm doing all right on the podcast. But uh, if you want to check that out for those daily insights and those tidbits that you might not see here on the show, or even you might even see them before they get to the show, you can follow me at Thomas Castelli underscore on Twitter or X as again, it's now called, and uh, I'm I'm taking that platform seriously. So if you're looking to connect with me, that's the best way to do so. Just want to kind of throw that out there. And then Ryan, I know you have some things brewing too. What what do you have going on personal branding? Yeah, I'm, I'm primarily focused on LinkedIn and who knows, like the shift could be eventually to something more like Instagram. I know Rich is really focused on that. He's found a lot of success there. I think for a lot of CPAs thinking about distilling tax information, into say a short or a reel on Instagram could be difficult to do. And it might feel like, hey, this isn't quite the full story of what's going on. Yeah. It's like really just, a, again, a, a short, right? Or a reel. It's very just hard hitting. Here's kind of the big picture concept. And then we kind of hope, you know, people follow up with us or they go look on their own or they listen to our podcast to get more information and more context and more of the pros, the cons, the things to be careful of and to make sure that they don't go at it alone. Right. Because that's one of the things to be careful of is you hear something for free online and you think, oh, that's all I need to know. Usually not. (laughs) Usually there is way more to it than that that you have to be careful of. But yeah, going back to your question, my focus right now is primarily LinkedIn. Uh, I like posting on that platform. I have found other platforms to be more difficult. doesn't mean I want to explore them uh, in the future if there's a good business purpose behind it and people are finding success there then why would I kind of deter from going there? So I'm not opposed to it. I'm currently kind of focusing primarily on LinkedIn, getting used to writing, creating my own content, things like that, getting comfortable with that. So I'm there right now, but maybe one day we'll make more of a switch. No, absolutely. So if you guys want to find us, if anybody listening here wants to find us, you can find that in the show notes. Again, you could uh, Ryan Carrier on LinkedIn, at Thomas Castelli on Twitter. 
Uh, again, we'll be putting out tax content on a daily basis. So if you're interested in that and real estate investing content, uh, go ahead and find us over there. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Hopefully this inspired you to go do some things for your personal brand, whether you're in real estate or another field, this is the time to do it and uh, go out there and make it happen. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.